Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Well, hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the podcast. I recorded several of these conversations at SoCal Teen Camp, and this is the second one. And I have a few more coming up from people that I uh, do Teen Camp with. And so look forward to those coming out this fall. We didn't get all of them recorded that I had hoped at Teen Camp, but they'll be coming as we record those. I'm also starting a series of conversations with Justin Smith, a guy from my church who is a professor at uh, APU in New Testament. And so we use some conversations on what it means to be Christian, including uh, some in-depth conversations about uh, the topic that Zach and I tackle here on the podcast. So today's conversation is a great one about disorientation, deconstruction, these things, moments in our life where our faith gets questioned. And Zach and I kind of come at it from the context of theological education as well as uh, youth ministry. But look forward to the conversations with Justin Smith where we take it on uh, from maybe an idea of how does a church enter into these conversations in a healthy way as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to how these conversations will add value to your life. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, send me an email or visit my website. Um, we'd love to connect with you. We also have a Facebook page, and you can post some comments there or engage in conversation as well on Value Add Conversations Facebook page. So here's Zach and I. In the background, you may hear some piano or even some students kind of moving around and, and running around. Uh, we were outside a small barn uh, where some of the students like to hang out and play the piano. And so you can hear one of them uh, playing in the background at different points during our conversation. Uh, so you get some ambiance during this one. All right, blessings and hope that you have a great day. All right, I'm here at SoCal Teen Camp for episode two of SoCal Teen Camp Recap Stuff. I'm the second one. <laughs> no, I'm not the first one. I'm the, the second. Hey, I might post this one first. Okay, but then you, but you've already said it's the second one. That's true. Second episode. You have to That's post true. the second. I, I will post the second. So well, I'm just I, honored to be back again, Lars. <laughs> with with Jack, and now I'm with Zach. I feel like I've got to get some other ack. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone else though at camp with an ack. I could have a conversation with myself and like create a person. Yeah, I'm sure your listeners would love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you're one of my listeners, I'm sure you would be interested. I would be all know. about that, yeah. Uh, so, so Zach Lee, you know, last time we talked about um, just kind of things that add value to your life, and obviously that's the theme of the podcast. Today, though, I, I was thinking, um, you know, we've just had so many conversations. They come up a lot of times at camps like this because we're helping walk with students who are in a transition. Adolescence right. is this transition. I, I think about it like the towers, right? Mm-hmm. Like the tower of elementary school and younger is like they're dependent on their parents. They're supported by their parents. So there's this support tower there. And then it's like this tight wire all the way over to another tower right. of adulthood. And, and theoretically, you know, you become um, an independent adult where you can then be supported support yourself but adolescence is this kind of tight wire walk Mm -hmm. and um camp and these kind of things are like really uh kind of the peaks sometimes for a lot of these kids in their spiritual development but um you know we we wrestle with how are we building up their faith but then also how are we helping 
unpack things mm -hmm. that are unhelpful. And obviously the academic word for that is like deconstruction. Right. So like our view of the Bible and the text and did it just fall from the sky. So that's what I was thinking would be cool for our conversation today. Um, so I'm titling it Deconstruction versus Reconstruction. Okay. So I'm not sure yeah. if you're the deconstructor and I'm the reconstructor, or okay. maybe we'll both we'll, kind of we'll play We'll both that. try to deconstruct and reconstruct <laughs> at the same time. Let's right, see where right. we go. Um, so it, you're, you're the guest on the podcast, so I'm going right. to make you have the hard task of explaining what deconstruction is. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, as I understand deconstruction, um, it is a moment in one's life when um, their understanding of how things work no longer fit the situation, right? And so um, I had certain expectations or um, believed certain things to be true about my parents when I was mm -hmm. growing up. Mm -hmm. And a moment of deconstruction was when, um, you know, I heard my dad cuss for the first time. And it was just the sort of uh, a shattering of um, a, a concept of the world that didn't no longer made sense. My dad was no longer this perfect human being. My dad was someone who cussed. And uh, I think those are moments of uh, deconstruction or um, I actually really like Walter Brueggemann's um, uh, orientation, disorientation, reorientation language. And so I think those are those disorienting moments, right? Mm -hmm. um, deconstruction, I think, as a youth minister, is something that we wrestle with um, when we think about how we teach right and how do we help students grow into their faith and um, are there moments when a youth minister should help their student um, maybe move into a moment of deconstruction or are we simply there to help guide students in the moments of deconstruction and I think that's an important question for us to wrestle with at times um, I'm not entirely sure uh, I get nervous when people are really excited uh, mm -hmm. to deconstruct someone's faith or, right. or kind of blow things out of the water. And I, I don't think that's healthy. Um, I don't think that's healthy spirituality. I don't think that's good for, for really anyone. Uh, but at the same time, I think uh, youth ministers are too um, nervous or, or anxious to actually walk with a student in moments of deconstruction. Uh, when we did not necessarily create it. It just has happened in the student's life. And um, in those moments, I think um, if, if you don't or if you aren't willing to walk with a student in deconstruction or help them in those moments, um, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. I, I do think, um, and this is getting off of what I think you just initially asked, but I do think uh, one of the responsibilities I feel is uh, as my student gets gets older into the junior senior year, I want to start having conversations that lead um, students to recognize that in a moment of deconstruction, uh, whenever that comes, uh, there's no you don't have to walk away from your faith, mm -hmm. right? So if deconstruction of faith comes through a science class, I don't want that student to feel like they have to choose science over faith over their, their Christian walk. Mm -hmm. um, and I think too often churches and youth ministers have, have created this false choice for students as they get into um, college and beyond, as they wrestle with some of the ideas of, of those things. Yeah, and that's where then the second part of our conversation will probably go is once you move into that disorienting or deconstruction moment, what do you then put in its place? 
And so, like you said, maybe our role is to walk with them when they're entering into that disorienting thing, not to see our role as creating it necessarily all the time, but as it comes, we then are there to help them build and kind of reconstruct or construct a new uh, place of faith, a faith that doesn't have to choose one or the other uh, when it comes to science or or things that go on in their life, even when it comes to uh, things about relationships and family stuff. I know that we um, struggle at camps and, and different moments in students' lives where to have a healthy conversation of sexuality, um, you know, even in this climate right now where students are trying to say, you know, is my church going to be a safe place for me if I'm part of the LGBTQ community? And we want it to be, but at the same point, we want um, we don't want to cause students to have to wrestle with those questions by forcing the conversation. And that's where I think the tightrope is so yeah. um, difficult because we don't want to cause the disorientation but we want to actively speak into a process of reconstruction. Yeah, yeah I think um, even, I mean, I think a lot of times those, those, those questions are there. They just haven't been given permission yet to voice them. Um, and so uh, I don't think even when you, when you ask the question um, about something uh, that may be quote unquote, you know, unquote, kind of controversial uh, chances are our students have already been thinking about it they're already been asking questions about it and so uh, asking the question isn't sort of creating that moment it's just giving them the freedom to voice that in a safe place right and I think um, you know I, I, I'm not entirely sure you can give answers to people in moments of deconstruction I think you can help point the way mm-hmm. I think you can give them wisdom and advice but um, I don't think there's a way for you to kind of fix that moment quickly mm-hmm. for for them and I and I think to try to do so actually may do more harm than good mm-hmm. uh, for that student's faith yeah so um, obviously we're not uh, gonna solve this con- you know this conversation but I, I want to take us a little bit out of thinking about just students and adolescents now and kind of think a little bit about the implications in, in, uh, in a way that is more like as us, as people, as us, as Christians, um, and maybe some of the implications for our churches at large when it comes to, like you talked about, maybe the goal is an environment where those questions are, mm-hmm. it's safe to, to talk about those things. Um, so one of the things I think that comes up in here is that um, we often teach a message of certainty. Mm-hmm. And that is often when your certainty is um, kind of questioned or when, like you said, you might have an experience where someone you look up to cusses or, or something like that happens. It's disorienting. Um, it's often about the things that we thought were certain. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the easy one is like the creation narrative in right. um, Genesis 1 versus Genesis 2. And then even throughout um, just kind of how we compare s- scripture to other holy yeah. texts and n- ancient Near, e- t- uh, Near East texts, especially how this we, we were often raised with a certainty, or at least I was, of creation being six literal 24 hour right. days um, that progressed in a certain way. 
and that culminated with God resting on the seventh day. And obviously, theologically speaking, we want to use that as a lens for interpreting and understanding God at times, but even in the text, Genesis 1 versus Genesis 2, um, the narratives aren't the same. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of is often a disorienting um, moment where the certainty of that creation thing, which seems so central to our faith often, we become uncertain about creation and things. So speak to that a little bit about how you've seen moments in your life or in other people's lives of where certainty was kind of disrupted. Yeah, I think uh, in almost every, you know, moment of life, you can, you can find those, those moment where moments where certainty is not uh, what you thought it was. I think the Genesis texts are really interesting um, when you think about the one, the account of one and two, and um, I think one of the problems with certainty or that that impulse to kind of um, everything fitting perfectly is that you kind of miss uh, sort of the mystery, um, and you miss sort of the point of the Genesis one and two accounts. Um, Genesis one is this really transcendent God who speaks and makes and creates and does all this stuff. And, um, but at the end of Genesis 1, if that's the end of the creation narrative, the picture of God is sort of this, pers- this, this, this being, this divine being who creates and then walks away. I mean, it's a very deistic view almost mm-hmm. of, of God, um, very transcendent. And yet then Genesis 2, we have the creation narrative where God breathes life into humanity, right? And this this idea of intimacy that is there that is carried on into the Genesis 3 text where God is uh, coming down and walking in the cool of the evening mm-hmm. with Adam and Eve. Uh, and so I think um, there's this, I think we need to re- rethink definitions of certainty if, we're, if we want to use that language. Um, Peter Enns is uh, a a scholar that I uh, really appreciate and uh, one of the books that he wrote for sort of the popular um, uh, at large was Sin of Certainty Mm -hmm. um, which sort of says that like the point of scripture is not to teach certainty but the point of scripture is to help us learn how to trust God Mm. Um, and trust I think almost by definition means that you can't know for certain Mm. right if I know something for certain it's no longer trust I just I just know it. Right. Um, so trust even creates this idea of um, of not knowing. Mm-hmm. And what what I find odd at times is that in one sentence we'll say God is this incomprehensible being mm-hmm. who creates and is transcendent and beyond all comprehension. And then the next voice will say, but we are certain that God is this and God b- does this and God does that and it just seems like we we need to be more humble. We mm. need to learn humility in the way that we talk about God and the way that we teach people about God. Because mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of things about God that I don't know. Um, right. And there are moments of where certainty is undermined, I think. Yeah, and that's where I think this, um, you know, in some ways the conversations we've had after some of the lessons this week at teen camp where we're trying to listen to God and these kind of things all boil down for me. And we, we wrestle sometimes with like, are we encouraging kids to have a 
experience of God that maybe is not as reliable as they think. Um, they talk a lot about a gut feeling, mm-hmm. an emotion, um, which I think God uses. We've talked about that as his whispers that he speaks more than just through scripture and things. But at the same point, um, we, we're in uncertain territory, then, right. right? When we're working with kids' emotions and their feelings and uh, things that, as I've talked and had conversations, are, aren't tangible, aren't measurable. And um, so we want to we wanna balance kind of our, our rational thinking side of things with our, with our yeah. feeling side. And I've really been helped by this, um, this idea that it, when I talk about faith and when I talk about believing in God, um, that I start to use that word trust more. Mm-hmm. Because faith is kind of this noun, um, and belief is kind of this noun that I kind of think is certain, is locked in. Like, this is what I believe. This is my faith. And trust is more of this act, right? right. This action of letting God be God and um, trusting in, in right. that God. And so I, I kind of like moving from certainty almost to... Um, kind of a reliance on God right and I'm not believing that I know everything for certain about God but there's some reliability and that that that's passed down I think you were saying in one of our staff meetings about kind of reminding us that we have 2,000 years and one of the directors was was sharing that in their lesson we have 2,000 years of of church history and then even more in the history of the people Mm -hmm. of Israel of God's reliability in our lives and that should encourage us to trust yeah um but in that right there's moments of disorientation for the people who were trusting god yeah and i I, one of the things that i i think we need to do a better job of churches is we need to talk about communal discernment um so the idea that if god reveals something to me um, i need people to help me determine and discern if that's from God or not, right? I, I, I'm not entirely sure I'm smart enough to be certain about those things. Mm. I don't know if all of a sudden maybe uh, I might have a mental health issue that I need to go seek therapy or go see someone to address, but I may interpret that as God, right? I may interpret that as, as, as a, uh, uh, an experience of God. And so I think on some level, one of the things that the church, the church as we have um, sort of bought into um, sort of the individualism that has mm-hmm. come with America is we have lost the ability to trust one another in discernment, mm-hmm. right? And we have, we have lost the ability to listen um, to people who are wiser than we are to help us discern what God may be doing in our lives. And I think that's a really, I think that's a loss, right? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the difficulties when we talk about the emotional experience is that um, very little time uh, do we, or very few times do we actually um, talk to our students about, okay, um, how, do, how do we discern that experience, right? Is that a, was that a mystical experience of God mm-hmm. or was that a moment of emotional release for you? Both are positive, mm-hmm. right? Both are, both are a good thing. And if, if, if that was experience was an emotional release where you have pent up fear and anxiety and it comes through in this moment, um, 
that's still a positive thing. That's still healthy for the student. But that is, I, and, and, and maybe God is in that moment, and then maybe that is both a release and a mystical moment with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does not necessarily mean that they have to be one and the same. Right. And so it may be that, um, and I, I'm a little bit nervous about saying this on a podcast because I've just, I was just processing this thought this morning, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I think one of the things that might help us discern is um, whether or not that experience, right? Some of our students had this very uh, sort of emotional experience last night. One of the ways that maybe, and I say this very humbly, uh, that a discernment process might be is does that moment lead to transformation, Mm. right? When Paul experiences Jesus on the road to Damascus, that led to transformation. Mm -hmm. Experience with God will lead us to be transformed more into the likeness of Jesus through the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so if that doesn't happen in my life, if I have that experience and it doesn't actually lead to a transformational process, maybe it simply was an emotional release for me. Again, positive and healthy, but not necessarily the mystical experience that I'm claiming that it is. Yeah. So as we think about disorienting things and de- deconstruction in just generally, maybe maybe what we're really helping and creating an environment is is new vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Is is we build in new ways for people to express what they're doing. So because so much of our uh, Christian preaching and teaching, and I think our church environments. We just have this language in contemporary Christianity that says, you know, like, that was God talking to me, right? And I think we've talked a little bit about this during the teen camp lessons. Like, I think our directors have really put together a really great curriculum this year. But we still struggle. And I think you were really insightful to say we've lost some of the communal discernment. Like, those are are language. That's language Mm -hmm. and action that needs to be reconstructed into our faith. And so... It's not, like you said earlier, it's not that we, in Reconstruction, are saying we're going to give you answers like we, probably when we were little in Bible school, like there was like, here's the answer, you know, the animals went into the ark two by two, and these are the the answers. Um, But we're we're constructing a new verbal language house, if you will. And I'm not entirely sure we need new vocabulary. I think one of the things that we um, fail to do, and I'm guilty um, as much as anyone on this, is that I think we're fairly lazy with our language. Mm. I think we we say words, um, but we're not entirely sure what they mean all the time. Or uh, we say them and we expect people to interpret them the way that I interpret them. Mm -hmm. And what we don't do is uh, we don't offer our own interpretations. I think one of the benefits that I got from um, graduate school was was when my professors kept pushing me to to set the parameters and explain what I was trying to say because I couldn't just use a word and then not and leave it right because I you know using that word um, it has maybe three or four different definitions in people's minds and so to say that was God you know well what do you mean I mean I, I, this is kind of off being passed but I've, I've even been thinking this week a camp that you know we're trinitarians right but we're not 
Yeah. Right. We're not Trinitarians. Yeah. We're not, you know, um, we're we're Christocentric, I think, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, and we we do a lot of great worship of the transcendent God, um, but we don't talk or sing about sort of the imminent Holy Spirit in any sort of way, um, and so uh, even even that. You know, even even our God language, even the way that we talk about God is um, it may need to be um, new vocabulary may not need to be created. It, we may just simply need to do a better job of explaining what we mean when we use those words. Because I don't I don't think we need to leave the, the language necessarily. I think we just need to do a better job of being willing to have that that conversation. And I think mm-hmm. even in that moment. For, for some of us, that will be a moment of deconstruction, mm-hmm. right? Because it will force us to make claims about what we are saying and then have people maybe push back against us, which might help us uh, move into disorientation or mm-hmm. deconstruction. And then maybe, hopefully, on the ed- other end of it, come away with a better understanding of what we are talking about when we talk about God. Um, and I think those are those are... Are, are, are good things um, for us to, to ponder and think about. I'm interested from you, Lars, just to, you know, how do you process deconstruction? You know, how are you um, thinking through, through that process? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think in one way I was blessed with um, a, a set of things that caused disorientation or deconstruction of things other than faith first mm-hmm. and and then also blessed with you know parents who both had master's degrees in um, in ministry and had been exposed to some things especially biblical criticism mm-hmm. and so they weren't afraid of biblical criticism and as a young young person like we talked about the world behind the text a lot right so um, like that was I think set me up to not be not enter into uh, a moment of deconstruction as hard in my own grad school experience when it came to faith. So the, those, you know, moments of disorientation and deconstruction for me were, you know, moving from uh, the States to Taiwan when I was right. four years old. And uh, and then from there, actually, you know, coming back to the States when I was seven and having a period of time where we were here and, um but not, you know, I wasn't old enough to be part of a youth group, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my parents were still, my mom was still homeschooling us. And so we were still fairly insulated in that sense. But I got exposed to a lot of stuff about certainty, about, yeah. about God. I was, I was a pretty, um, I was pretty hardcore against things like evolution and, and a bunch of those kind of things that now I probably have softened a lot right. on my position, um, or at least on my certainty of right. those things for sure. And, uh, and so as I entered into my teenage years, we moved back to Asia, to Southeast Asia, to Vietnam. And again, an, a, a little bit of a disorientation. Uh, and we worshiped there with a uh, set of charismatics and mm-hmm. Pentecostals. And uh, talk about, they, they were certain about their experience of God, right. which was actually very disorienting for me. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to be able to explain my faith. I had scripture memorized. Often I was better uh, prepared to enter the text and explain what I believed about God, my systematic theology, yeah. if you will, about God and who he was. And I was open to even things like 
I don't know everything for sure. I, I wanted to be humble. But then when it came to um, talking with people who had a very moment-by-moment moment experience of God, um, I, I started to have questions. Why, um, why do I not have yeah. that experience with God? And so um, I kind of entered into a, a different kind of deconstruction yeah. um, that has been helpful, I think, for me because now— you know, my, my dad's uh, approach to that was when we were house church leaders in that church, you know, he would tell the, the pastor, like, man, I, I don't, we don't agree on a lot of this stuff, yeah. you know. And he said, no, no, it's okay. We, we agree on the essentials. We agree right. on the right stuff. You, you claim the name of Jesus. He was very Christocentric, even though he was uh, embraced the Spirit right, in a more right. robust way than we do. Um, but he would say to my dad, it's okay that you're not going to be able to teach the speaking in tongues right. part of our foundations class. That's okay. I don't, I'm not worried about that. Right. Um, and so my dad actually softened, I think, his own approach to that and said, while I have yet to have that experience of speaking in tongues, right. it is not that God does not have that gift in people's life. And so I think my parents were still very much, you know, cessationist, believing that the spirit gifts had ceased um, for for most of the visible gifts that we right. see in the text, um, except for speaking through scripture. Um, and when we had those experiences of disorientation and deconstruction of our rationality over there in Vietnam, we have, you know, my parents haven't ever spoken tongues. I haven't spoken in tongues. Right. But we don't believe the spiritual gifts have ceased in that sense right. anymore. Yeah. And um, so that that process as, as a teenager of watching my parents go through a form of deconstruction and walking with them through that journey really um, helped me. So I, I pursue relationships with people, kind of like our relationship, right. to talk through these things because I witnessed my parents yeah. doing that. And I would much rather... Um, and I think this is true for any sort of in a religious dialogue or um, when you're speaking with someone who differs um, in, in some sort of position is that you need to you need to have a relationship with someone who actually believes it. Yeah. Before you take a stand. Yeah. Um, I think you should really know what you believe and be able to articulate that. And that's where. You know, it helped me. I at first we got really clear about what we believed about the role of the Holy Spirit, but then it changed, and our certainty of our position softened. Right to where we now say, I don't have the experience of speaking in tongues, but I have friends who I firmly believe that they do. Right, and they have a prayer language, and I have a mentor actually in San Diego who, um, you know, he describes it. He's a Presbyterian of all things. But he said, God gave me a prayer language. And for him, he expresses it different than some of my other Pentecostal and charismatic friends. Right, like, right. He doesn't get up on stage and start going in his tongue. But he, before he preaches every time, he goes and he covers his mouth and he pours his heart out to God in, his, in the language yeah. that God has given him. And, you know, probably the 15-year-old Lars would have said, no, nah, I don't know. You know, yeah. I, think you're, I think you're reaching there. Uh, but right now, I... I firmly believe that that's a gift from God yeah. for him. And just because I don't have that experience um, doesn't mean that it's, it's not real for him. And, uh, and so that's, that's where I see it really being important to, to have those relationships with people, whether it's a person of another faith mm -hmm. um, who firmly believes that, 
um, or uh, and you know that was one of the things that my mom loved about our experience because she was a history teacher she got to take us to the places you know mm -hmm. I've been to the Taj Mahal I've been to Angkor Wat in Cambodia um, I've been to the the Great Wall in, in Beijing yeah. and things so you know we we saw um, history tangibly right. and in front of us and we went to the temples and we saw yeah. the people burning incense yeah as you we were talking, one of the things that I think came to mind, uh, one, of the, one of the things I think was we, we often think of the negative moments as being the moments of deconstruction and disorientation. But it, on the flip side of it, can it actually be really positive things. Mm -hmm. um, as our high school students graduate and go into college, that is a positive thing. But they're going to go through a moment of disorientation because their roles have changed, mm -hmm. right? Um, they've gone from a high school senior with their parents there to a moment where they are freshmen at a, at, a, at a university or college or working for the first time. And so they have to learn new roles, which is disorienting because the world that they knew is no longer the world that they're inhabiting as sort of these um, transitioning adults in some way. And so even disorientation comes in the in the good moments, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's one of the reasons why we have so many students when they they're so excited about co their college experience, and when they get there, it's not what they thought um, it was going to be. It doesn't hold up to their ideal, and I kind of go, that's okay, because the reality of it is, is that you're 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 having to learn life again. Mm -hmm right you're having to learn how to be now a college student with more freedom and, and more more uh, ability so the disorientation um, language I think uh, isn't always a negative isn't always brought on by the crises of you know death or um, you know uh, coming up against um, someone who disagrees with you religiously about something I think they can also come in the really positive moments right like the move that your family made was a really positive one, right? Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of excitement. But once, probably, uh, I would assume once, when you got there, there was the learning curve, right? Oh, yeah. It was. It may wasn't exactly the the way that you thought it was going to be, which is disorienting mm -hmm. for for students. Um, I think on the on the other side of the, the reorientation and reconstruction, I think that's that's difficult because uh, one of the things that I have. I've tried to honor uh, in my students' lives and the lives of friends and, and people that I uh, have relationship with is um, to not answer for them, hmm. right? Um, you, you know, I, I think in a, you know, with, with a friend experiencing death for the first time, right? Like I, I could come in there and give you all the theological answers that I think I can give for where God was and what God is doing there. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's not, um, and I can offer some wisdom and some guidance and some presence, but one of the things is I, I really think that that person needs to be able to name that for themselves and mm -hmm. process that on their own sort of journey. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I try not to, I try not to, um, to give the answers too quickly mm -hmm. uh, for students. I want to ask questions, I think, the, um, the uh, exercise we had up here at camp where students went and they were asked a series of questions to reflect, I think that's a really healthy way um, to help students and us move from uh, disorientation to reorientation. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily from us giving the answers that we have, but helping them discover the answers 
uh, in their faith through a series of questions, which comes back to that idea of communal discernment. That only happens is if you have people who are willing to ask you the right questions and not give you the pat answers that we have been given and been giving to students for so long in youth ministry and churches, right? I'd love us to start asking more questions and mm. helping that student reveal. And, and maybe that is, maybe it leads to more disorientation in the student's life, mm -hmm. but it also might lead to reorientation and a stronger reorientation because that student has processed that. That student has discovered how she or he is going to answer those questions, right? And that might be the, the orientation for a period of time until something else happens, right? And I think one of the, one of the things that I love about uh, this language of disorientation, reorientation, is I really think that's how we live our lives, mm. right? I, you know, I know something is true or I trust something until I don't. And then it's disorienting. And then I find something else to trust, right? Um, it's, um, it's when we so hold and say that if this domino falls, then I, I, I cannot continue. I think that's when we get into a really difficult time uh, for, for students. Or if we set our students up with this idea that if this falls, right, mm -hmm. if this one thing falls, then everything else crumbles. I mean that's a really dangerous theology yeah you know and it, it and it's really prideful mm -hmm. it's really it's really speaking for god in ways that i am not comfortable with uh now as a minister and as a pastor as someone who has conversations with students and seeks to give guidance at times i just um i'm, I'm uncomfortable with with language that says this is the way it is i'm more comfortable with um this is what I think might be happening. But let me ask you some questions, right? And see if we can kind of dig deeper into, into what's going on. Yeah. You know, um, I think the thing that I am exploring in some of my conversations with um, different people in my life, uh, but especially, and this is probably uh, something that is difficult to, end the podcast with because we could probably have a whole episode on it but I think in the topic of deconstruction reconstruction the thing that I um, feel has been recently the thing that has deconstructed in my life is the is the concept of a relationship with God mm -hmm. how's your relationship with Jesus going or do you have a relationship with Jesus um, and it was I mean that was some language that uh, I think came around in the 60s, 70s, yeah. kind of Jesus people revolution where, um, you know, people wanted to say, we need to, we need to update our language a little bit. We need to get in, yeah. you know, in with the times. And when I, ex you know, was expressing this kind of moment of deconstruction with my dad about this relationship term, and maybe, maybe I'm making more than it is, but he said, you know, perhaps it is, time for new language and then he said or maybe not maybe a little right. bit like what you were saying is maybe we need to re just explain what we mean by that relationship right. with God um, so as I think about that term relationship um, I've kind of come up with three R's for uh, our faith um, with and our kind of relationship with God we often talk about our need for repentance. So when we're mm -hmm. talking to a student and they say, you know, my relationship with God is just not so good right now, we'll ask them, like, 
what are the things you need to let go of? When you need right. to repent, uh, you're going this direction, you need to take a 180 and go the other direction right. um, and leave behind. And then, you know, how much are you reading your Bible? The second mm -hmm. R, kind of like how much time do you spend reading the scriptures? And then the, uh, the third R, I call relationship, but I, I think of it as prayer because we often boil mm -hmm. everything down to, are you spending time in quiet or talking to God about what's going yeah. on? And, um, and so, you know, like my grandmother would say, you need that three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic. Right. You need to focus on that. We need to get our school districts and school systems back off of all this other stuff and get back to the three R's, the basics. Um, I think as youth ministers, that's the easy place to go. Yeah. Um, the easy place to go is how are your three R's with God yeah. going? Are you repenting? Are you reading? Are you talking to God in right. prayer? And I just am not so certain that those are the three most helpful things yeah. anymore. And that I'm not so certain uh, that those three things, if you're doing them a lot, equal a high mm -hmm. quality relationship with God. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things to think about is, I, don't know, I think your dad and I would have a good conversation about this, is what do we mean by relationship? I mean, is it is it the mystical experience? It is the, the the feeling of closeness, right? I mean, that's a very limited view of relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, my relationships, um, I understand them as defining me as a person, right? So my relationship to uh, my wife means that I'm a husband, right? And so part of my identity is found in my relationship with my wife. Um, now my relationship, and soon for you, your relationship with your child will that relationship will, will will give you the category of identity of as father as dad as pops for me um, and so this idea that relationship is is one-sided with reading and repentance and sort of that prayer life um, well okay but if that's not identity forming mm -hmm. then we're really not talking about a relationship with God right we're we're too often, I think, when those things happen, we still have this cosmic vending machine view of God, mm -hmm. right? Whereas a relationship with God for me is uh, the idea that my identity is found in Christ. Mm -hmm. It means that uh, I seek and am praying and hoping that I'm being transformed more into the likeness of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And so, um, and that uh, God... Uh, created me in God's image and so my identity is found there and so relationship is identity forming for mm -hmm. me and so when I read scripture when I repent when I do all those things I don't do that um, in terms of sort of this personal sort of angsty relationship it's more of I find my identity through my relationship and through that identity I find my meaning and purpose in this world and so the relationship language, the personal relationship language, I think, again, I, I might argue needs to just be better defined mm -hmm. for our students and in our own minds and the way that we use it. Because right. I think it's rich. I think, um, you know, we we know who we are through our relationships mm -hmm. so many times that they um, they help us understand who we are. And we need that. Right. We need those relationships. And we need ultimately the relationship with God to to root and ground our identity and give us 
um, that idea of who we are ultimately because we were created by God. What happens is, you know, we, we take that idea of relationship and we turn it into dating Jesus or, yeah. you know, slow, I'll, I'll, slow dance with right, Jesus. slow dance with Jesus and all that other stuff. The problem with that is that that's really me centered, mm -hmm. right? That that's a, this idea uh, or uh, even in those moments is like I'm I'm actually putting an identity in God and not allowing God to help give me my identity. Yeah. And so I don't I, you know, I think um, yeah, I think the three R's are limiting when mm -hmm. we talk about relationship with God. I, 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 don't, um, I don't think that's life-giving. And I'm not entirely sure that's what, um, I'm not entirely sure that would be helpful to many of our students in the long run. Yeah, and I, and I think in some ways where my deconstruction started was actually not thinking about my relationship with God, but actually thinking about relationships in general and realizing that we, we do have a limited and a limiting definition of relationships so often. And I, and I think in some ways, and this is something that may be more linked to my personality and the way that I interact with people is that, um, you know, I d joke about bulldozing over people. So I, I struggle to listen, to really enter into dialogue. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, I think that was most explicitly discovered in my relationship with my wife that I thought we were having a really good relationship, but I was limiting that relationship right. because for me, being in the same space was good enough, but I wasn't truly listening and entering into dialogue with right. her. And so I would get frustrated when she wouldn't stay in a conversation as long as I wanted her to. And she was frustrated because she knew I wasn't actually listening right. and entering into that dialogue. And so I think we, we need in all of our relationships to listen more to the people that we're in relationship with um, and and practice things of discernment where we're, we're actively listening and engaged and staying in dialogue with that person, asking good questions, uh, responding. I mean, the, the silly things that we learn in things like therapy or marriage um, counseling, things like where you have something that is uh, the floor and you then have to, if the person has the floor, um, you're listening to them mm -hmm. and you're responding by stating back what they just said right. to you. And it seems trite and kind of, uh, kind of like overdone, but you realize in practicing that, that how bad of a listener you really are. Yeah. And I think in some ways that's where I, where I realized that I was doing that with my relationship with God was that. I was so one-sided. There was so much of my own noise in my relationship with God. I wasn't really listening. Mm -hmm. And so there was no chance for dialogue. Yeah. And so, like you said, my identity was what I thought God wanted me to be. Right. Not actually what the dialogue of mm -hmm. relationship with God would, would result. And I think we assume uh, too often just like we might in a relationship with another person, what that person wants from us. And when that comes to God, we're, we're really putting on God expectations for us and who, we, who he wants us to be um, that may not actually be life-giving or mm -hmm. what he's calling us to. And so I'm nowhere near resolving the, um, right. what that relationship really looks like. I'm, I'm 
exploring new definitions for relationship. But one of the ones I keep coming back to is this active listening, this mm-hmm. active dialogue yeah. back and forth. And, um, and I think that might lead us actually back into some practices that mirror or are similar to the three R's. I don't think that those are going to go away, but I, I do agree. I think if we see those as the measure for our relationship with mm-hmm. God or the health of that relationship, just like I can fall asleep next to my wife every night, if that's the measure of health of my marriage, then I could really see, I could miss a whole lot of things that mm-hmm. are amiss in our yeah. relationship. Well, I think too often we read scripture, to talk, one of your three R's reading scripture, with this idea of, even of the expectation that we already know what the text says, mm-hmm. right? Or um, we read it sort of in as a detective, and I'm really good at that, and you're probably really good at that because we both have master's degrees, and, <laughs> and that's a lot of what our education yeah. taught us to do. Um, I like what Walter Brueggemann does in his Old Testament theology where he talks about a second naivete, and this idea that you can do all the criticisms and everything like that, but at some point, like, you just have to listen to the scripture as it being formative, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, so we know a lot about scripture, and we know a lot about what God wants us to do, but very, very often we don't practice it because it's much more difficult to practice than it is to know. Mm-hmm. Right? I know that Jesus wants me to love my enemy because Jesus tells me to love my enemy. It's, it's pretty clear, right? Now, I could, I could maybe try to do read the Greek and try to get around it um, and, and make that not what Jesus is saying in that passage. But I'm pretty sure even with all the criticisms in the world, I'm still going to walk away with this idea that I need to love my enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much more difficult for me to do that, right? And so what I really want to do instead of actually going out and loving my enemy, I really want to make my faith into the checklist. Am I praying and repenting? Am I reading scripture? Am I praying Right. Because that's easier for me to live in. It's much more difficult for me to go out and have the dialogue Mm -hmm. and be in relationship with those that are different than I am. Mm -hmm. Right. And as long as I can keep my faith as personal piety and just these sort of go to church and don't lie and don't, you know, cheat and, you know, all of those things, then I feel like I'm okay. And we're missing really that Jesus wants us to be, which is these people who are going out into the world and creating places of human flourishing, creating justice and peace. And the problem with all of those really fun words that we like to use in church is that in our world, that is so, so difficult, mm-hmm. right? It is, it is really, really difficult to do those things. And so we don't, we, 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 we talk about loving God and loving neighbor but we don't really have the imagination yet to really discover a lot of times what that might look like um, because we're functioning out of anxiety or fear and we're creating ways to read scripture that doesn't actually force us to move beyond sort of the the piety of of a personal faith and the great thing about a personal faith is it's just personal yeah right and um and so there has to be that kind of movement and and you know, you talk about your wife and the relationship, like the relationships that I have that are most meaningful are the ones that sort of say, I, I accept you who you are, Zach, right now, but I see that that's, that's I, I, you can't stay here, mm-hmm. right? My wife says, you messed up, I love you, I forgive you, but you can't stay there. 
this marriage isn't going to work if you just keep doing right. the same thing over and over again and so because i love my wife and because my wife loves me because we have this relationship she continuously calls me to be more like christ through our relationship right and so the 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 idea of love and relationship um, that is so common in our mm -hmm. in our current cultural world really isn't sort of the transformative love of christ right it's sort of a you can't tell me what to do mm -hmm. moment and okay but because i love you because i see what i, I because i know you were created in god's image because i know that god wants us to flourish together right i, I want to call you i want to invite you i want to um, be part of this moment for you and for me to call each other to be the best versions of ourselves in christ through the spirit um and uh too often um too often we're afraid to do that right because it, it will be disorienting mm -hmm. for us to go out it's disorienting for for a kid who've grown who's grown up to thinking all uh, lgbtqi people are sinful and just mm -hmm. awful people to meet someone who is not to meet someone who is faithfully trying to figure out what it is to follow jesus who is wrestling with this idea of fidelity right mm -hmm. that's a disorienting moment and so what do you do in those moments right how do you process that um and i'm i'm not entirely sure sometimes right and i have to be willing to to say i i don't know and i have to be uh humble enough to say i, I might i might be wrong about this actually mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right but this is where this is how i'm thinking uh, but we're too scared to do that too often because uh, we think um, we think if we do that we'll lose relationship and so what we end up is we create really surface relationships that don't actually generate much for us in our lives and I think we do that with God yeah we put God in that box where God no longer is this transformative power in our lives you know and that may actually be one of the reasons why we don't want to pay attention to the spirit yeah because I think the spirit is right you know God transforms us in spirit right yeah and i think you, if you as you think about that um personal relationship if it's going to be transformational we we can't transform we can't be changed out of the person that i want that i that i'm am today to the person i want to be especially when we believe as i think you and i are both fairly christocentric we won't we see jesus as that person we want to be like mm -hmm. we want to imitate christ and i think that's a healthy uh, goal in mind but i think it's impossible i think it's impossible but that's that's where scripture steps in and says but jesus said it would be better for me to go so that the spirit can come right and that is where we need to believe that there is and i think in some ways the the idea of a higher power in aa and other mm -hmm. forms of that really comes through, that they recognize something that we sometimes often don't recognize, that we have to believe that this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this filling of the Spirit, this personal um, yet amazing um, beyond understanding, this Spirit that's both within us and without us, above us, below us, around us at all times, and yeah. filling all things, is the power um, that gives us that transformation. Yeah. and. Um, you know, we could go on and on about. Well, I think we're already defining. way past the yeah, limit. Yeah, way past the limit. <laughs> we but, talked about doing, um, but uh, 
but I think that it's helpful to, to recognize those things. And like you said, now we're in the stage where we need to ask questions. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I'm, I'm hopeful that people will find people uh, like I've found you in my life to, we can just ask questions. We can walk up and sometimes it's a legitimate, serious question. Sometimes, you know, it's just like, I don't know, what do you think about that? And um, it makes us think. Yeah. And in some ways, I think that's where I want to go with the relationship with God. That dialogue doesn't have to be where I hear God answer my questions. Right. But that he asks me questions and I ask him questions and we sit together and the answers are maybe found in how I live out my life and how God, uh, through the spirit and through uh, the experiences of my life, through the dis disorientation, um, leads me to new sets of questions. Um, and, uh, and so I'm hopeful that we'll have more podcasts where we get to ask these, these questions. Yeah. I appreciate it, Lars. Thanks for having me on, man. All right, man. Let's go back to Teen Camp. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.